Well, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, if you were to go back and read Mark chapter 1 from the very beginning up to where we are now at the end of chapter 3, one of the things that you'll have noticed that's very consistent is the crowds. There have consistently been crowds of people following Jesus, some among whom would become some of his, uh, his disciples, some of his deepest and closest followers, uh, others who would simply be those who are curious or interested in the miracles that he's doing, hoping that he could perhaps do something for them. And of course, some among the crowd who would become his enemies and were seeking to destroy him. So I just for a minute here at the very beginning, want to encourage you to put yourself as much as you can in the crowd. What would it have been like for you to be there, to be learning as you're listening about who this rabbi is and what he's asking people to do. You would have heard from the very beginning if you were there, if you had been out with the crowd when John was doing his baptisms, you, you would have heard after Jesus was baptized, this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in him I'm well pleased. You would have heard Jesus then go on to teach about the kingdom of God and, and call people to repent and to follow him in order to gain entrance into this kingdom over which he is the king. You would have seen him do all these amazing miracles, all these great healings, exorcisms, casting out demons, but you would have also at the same time seen people within the religious establishment who were getting increasingly agitated with him and even looking for opportunities to kill him. You, you would have seen head-to-head -head confrontation like we saw last week in that, in that climatic moment in which uh, the scribes were confronting Jesus and accusing him of being possessed by the devil. You also would have seen last week, and we see it again here this week, the fact that Jesus was actually, his teaching was, was one of the results was that his own family were beginning to turn against him. He wasn't just alienating the religious establishment. He was alienating his own blood, his own family. You, you would have seen that this Jesus, this rabbi, who claims to be more, was calling people to follow him and potentially risk much in order to do so. But was promising great gain if you would do so, eternal life. And so this is where you would be if you, if you were following Jesus, if you, would, if you were in the crowd, you would realize that he was calling people to pay a steep price, potentially, pay a steep price in order to follow him, but that he also promises great gain, eternal life, but also an eternal family. And so you would realize as you were listening and as you went on to listen to more of what he had to say that, that if you're going to follow him, you're going to be left with a pretty distinct choice to make. Either follow him and be willing to pay a great price if need be, but gain something exceedingly wonderful. Or hold on to the things of this earth, and in the end lose both the things of this earth and heaven forever. So if that's what you're seeing, if that's what you're hearing, if you're an observer in the crowd, you are hearing and you are observing correctly. If you are going to follow Jesus, you've got to count the cost, and the cost could be high. Your own family may turn against you, but what you gain if Christianity is true is something greater than even the best family on this earth can offer you. 
This text that we're looking at this morning tells us about the potentially high cost, but also the eternally great gain of following Jesus. So there's three things we're going to see, and then I'll read it. The three things are simply this, the high cost, the great gain, and the good news. But first, let's read the text. Hear the word of God. And his mother, that is Jesus, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do pray that you would help us to see the good news in this text. Lord, help us be willing to pay the high cost, if need be, of following you. But Lord, help us to see and believe in the eternally great family that you've called us into with you, O God, as our Father, and Jesus as our brother. And we ask this in his name. Amen. So first, the high cost. And again, if you are listening to Jesus, if you're listening as you read the Word of God and Mark's Gospel, one of the things that you realize is that Jesus calls for complete allegiance to Him. Jesus calls for complete allegiance to Him. Again, you, you get that if you're reading the Gospels. If you were the observer in the crowd and you followed Jesus all the way throughout His earthly ministry, you hear Him say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. You hear him say things like, I am the gate. No one enters into the fold, the flock, the family of God, except through me. I am the true vine. There's no life apart from me. I am the resurrection and the life. There's no eternal life apart from me. Saying things like that made his family, his own flesh and blood, think that he was losing his mind. So back up in verse 21 of Mark chapter 3, we read this. And when his family heard it, so everything that he was doing, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. That word seize is a very strong word. It's the same verb that was used to describe grabbing and arresting a criminal who was on the run. They went to seize him. They, they thought he was out of his mind. They were trying to force Jesus to come home. Like, this is getting a little out of hand, Jesus. Just come home. So it's safe to assume that here in this passage, in verse 31, when it said his mothers and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, it wasn't because they were just going to, you know, try to reason with him a little bit. They were still trying to get their hands on him and bring him home. And there are good reasons why they were thinking that way that we'll touch on in just a second. So, again, don't let the metaphor get lost on you. His family's on the outside. There's this crowd of people on the inside. But even within that crowd, the ones that were gathered around him in the home, not all of them were truly on the inside, truly part of the family of God. I mean, think about who would have been sitting there. It would have been the 12 disciples, which means that G Judas would have been among them. 
It very well could have been some of the scribes from the passage right before, some of the Pharisees who were there opposing him. It certainly was people in the crowd who were just there because he was doing amazing things and they wanted to see more of the show. And of course, there were also those who were truly following him, who were willing to count the cost to be one of his followers. And so in verse 35, the last verse that we read, he makes clear what it means to be on the inside, if you will, what it means to be part of the family of God. When he says in verse 35, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In Luke's account, it says whoever hears the word of God and obeys it. Now, it's important to understand that obeying God, doing God's will, is not what gets you into the family of God. You don't earn your place within God's family through your works. We're saved by grace, entirely by grace. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and turning away from our sin and turning to Him that we are received into the family of God. But that being said, what Jesus is pointing out here is that obedience is what characterizes the family of God. And that obedience isn't just in this area or that area at this time when it's easy, but not at this time when it's hard. Obedience to the will of the Father looks like nothing less than giving your whole life over to Him. It's laying down your life before Him. It's saying things like Jesus would say in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done in all things. In other words, it looks like complete and total allegiance to Jesus, surrender to his will, him being Lord over your life and not just the one whose blood gains you entrance into heaven when you die. So allegiance to Jesus, Jesus calls for that. If you're really following him, that's what it means. You've given your whole life over to him. And that allegiance, Jesus tells us, may lead to rejection by your very family. So you see it happening to Jesus in this text. But if you were to go on and read Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says this concerning those who follow him. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Just brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus is saying, count the cost. What's happening to me is my own family rejects me. It's going to happen to you. So Jesus warned of this, and the first Christians paid that price. Now just step back for a second and think about this. For Jesus to say what he said, even here, to not go out to his family, would have brought shame on that family. And this is a shame-honor culture. Like the, the greatest sin was bringing shame on your family. And to become a Christian... Whether you're Jew or Gentile in this first century church, when people were still alive, you know, people were still alive who had seen Jesus, and so the account of his resurrection could be verified. To give your life to Jesus Christ, to follow him for a Jew, meant that you were forsaking your family. You were saying to your family, 
listen, who you think Yahweh is, it's Jesus. So I'm following him. And of course, for any Jewish you know, person at the time, that would be anathema. That, that would be you know, to, to call down curses upon you for your sinning against God. That would be the, the thought. And that would bring profound shame on your family if you were to do that. And if you were a, a Gentile, if you were a non-Jewish person, you had your family gods, your household gods. And now you're saying to your parents, I'm rejecting all of our family gods. I'm going to follow this man because he is God. And that would bring great shame on your family. It was a high cost that we can't fully comprehend in our age, you know, when we're just kind of independent, we can do our own thing. So just for a second, just reflect on the fact that to make the decision to follow Christ meant a very high cost. If it was made up, if it was a hoax, if they couldn't verify that Jesus really had risen from the dead, would they be willing to pay this kind of price? Would you have been willing to pay that kind of price? The first Christians were willing to pay that price. Christianity grew. It spread like wildfire. And ever since then, Christians have had to pay that price of having even father or mother or children rise up and kill you for your faith. Just last October in Egypt, a man by the name of Hussein Mohammed was converted to Christianity from his Islamic heritage. He became a Christian. He posted on his Facebook page essentially his testimony. I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. He showed a tattoo of a cross on his wrist, which for Egyptian Coptic Christians was a very, became a practice, something that they did. His family saw that Facebook post and he was killed in a family honor killing. This isn't something that's remote. It's not something that happened. This is, this happens. Even now. And to some degree, you may pay the price. I mean, by God's grace, we're not in that kind of a setting here in America. But you may have family or friends who disown you. Or it may be just that when you gather together, the conversation's kind of stilted and awkward. But what that feels like is a kind of exclusion from the very people who you love. Your mom, your dad, your kids, your closest friends. It is to some degree to be cut off from people you care very deeply about. There can be a high cost to following Jesus. Are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Are you willing to pledge allegiance to Jesus even if it means rejection by your own family? So the cost may be great, but we go on to learn that the gain is high. The great gain, let's look at this. First of all, let me, let me just say, step back again for a second. Let me just say this. Jesus is not calling you, if you are a Christian, to reject your earthly family if they aren't Christians. Jesus is not calling you, if you are a Christian, to reject your friends if they are not Christians. He's calling you to love your friends, to love your family. Now, we know that from Jesus' own life. In John chapter 19, he is on the cross and he makes sure from the cross that his mother is taken care of. 
Jesus rebukes Pharisees who, in Mark chapter 7, are trying to get people, they're trying to actually convince people that the money that they have, that they should be using to care for their parents, would be better given to them as the religious leaders. And Jesus rebukes them. Jesus is deeply concerned that Christians love and care for their earthly family, whether they are Christians or not. Nowhere are we called to ignore or disown our family now that we're Christian. I want you to say that because there have been cults who have claimed to be Christian who have said, if you're with us, you're no longer going to talk to them. You need to come live in our compound. You need to never talk to them. That is not Jesus. That is not genuine Christianity. Quite to the contrary, we are called to love our family, whether they follow Jesus or not. The point is that if they choose to disown you, there's great gain because in Jesus you find an eternal family, a forever family. Because in Jesus you are adopted into the family of God. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, you read this really, you know, poignant statement in which we read that, that Jesus came to his own, his own family, his own people, and they rejected him. But for everyone who believed in Jesus, they were given the right to become children of God, to have God as Father. That same John would later write in 1 John, in his epistle, in his letter, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's like he can't even contain himself. This is unbelievably good news. To be a Christian is to be adopted into the family of God. God is your Father. Jesus is your older brother. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's the first, Romans, in Romans chapter 8, he's the firstborn among many brothers. Paul also says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption, reminding us, convincing us of this great truth from Scripture that God is now our Father, Jesus is now our brother, and we are united to brothers and sisters, to Christians around the world and throughout history in an eternal, spiritual family that is forever. Listen, Revelation, by the time you get to Revelation chapter 5, you're reminded that Jesus died to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, from every people group. There are right now, best estimate, 16,600 known people groups. That means if you are a Christian, you have a brother, a sister, a mother, multiple spiritual relatives in every one of those people groups. That's astounding. And all united in Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual, eternal bond amongst Christians that runs deeper than blood. So let me ask you this. If you are a Christian, with whom do you have a deeper bond? Another Christian in Pakistan? Or a non-Christian in your own political party? If you are a Christian, with whom do you have a deeper bond? A non-Christian in your political party or a Christian in the other? If you are a Christian, with whom do you have a deeper eternal bond? Your earthly family? Or your eternal family? If you're a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of God. We are far from perfect. We're like the island of misfit toys. But God calls us to be his own. We are loved by God 
in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We share a deeper bond with one another than with any other human being. There may be great cost to following Jesus, but there is great gain, and that is good news. It is good news. It's good news for everyone, regardless your family relationships on earth. It is good news for those who have lost a family because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Afshin Zayafat is a pastor in Texas. He left Islam to follow Jesus, and he lost his family. His father, he said, was the most important person in his life. When he went to his father as a college student and said, Dad, I've decided to follow Jesus, his father said, then you are no longer my son. He lost his earthly father. He gained a heavenly father. And he gained a forever family. This is good news for those who have lost a family. It's good news for those who think they have a perfect family. I mean, like the kids are just in tow. They're like, you know, mom, dad, what can I do to bless you today? I know we all want that. It doesn't exist. It's a figment of our imagination. But you think that you're close to that. Like your kids are just a cut above all the others. And therefore you as mom or dad are just a cut above all the others. You know, it's moments like this, pandemic, when you realize I'm spending a lot of time with these people and they're not all that I thought they were, which means that I'm not all I thought I was. But even if you think you have that perfect nuclear family, that nuclear family is not going to last forever. And times like this, when we're so close, we, we begin to realize how much we've made our family into an idol. We've expected our kids to save us through their good behavior so that I could feel like a good father or like a good mother. We expected our spouse to save us by being the person who loves and adores me more than any other. That's putting a weight on our family that our family can't bear because you've made a, a, re, a relationship into an idol. You've worshipped the idea you're not loving the people. So it may be that right now you're recognizing that that pretty close to perfect family you need a greater and deeper family. But even if you are a Christian family with, with healthy Christian relationships and everyone in the home is following Jesus, even then you will find that there is a greater joy and a deeper satisfaction, not in the earthly bond that you share, but in the forever bond that you share. Augustine was a famous theologian of the early church. He wrote about his conversion. He spent a long time not following Jesus. He broke his mother Monica's heart. He wrote in his book, The Confessions, which is you know, largely about his own life, about this moment after he began to follow Jesus, after he gave his life to Christ. He and his mother Monica were standing near a window in their hometown of Ostia, and they realized together, you know, we are more truly family now than we were then. It's good news. It's good news for those who have lost a family. It's good news for those who are in a great, healthy family. It's good news also for those who are in a broken family. I know right now as I talk about God as Father, some of you are having a hard time accepting that there could ever be a good father or a good parent or a safe family. But this is what Christianity offers. 
It's good news for those in a broken family. It is good news for those without a family, those who are experiencing great loneliness, not just in this age of pandemic, but always. Because you're single. You lack a husband, a wife, children. And that's hard. Friendships are so superficial, it seems. It's hard to find a friend who will really go deep with you in terms of heart-to-heart level of engagement. And there's something missing. The church is meant to be the place in Jesus where people without a family find a family. It is also good news for those outside the family. If you're not a Christian, this is unbelievably good news. There's a home in which you are called to come. A father who is calling you to be his child. You know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't mention father. Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. He doesn't say here, here's my dad. These are all my dads as well, these older men. That's not what he says. Because in the family of God, there's one father. God. What's this father like? I don't know about the earthly father and what he was like that you've experienced. But I can tell you, even the best fathers have fallen short of what this father is like. If you don't believe me, go to Luke chapter 15 and read that great parable that Jesus says concerning the the prodigal sons, right? One goes off, the other stays home, but out in the field and doesn't enter into the father's joy. But think about that son who left the father's house, who took his share of the inheritance which was a way of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Let me have what's mine now. I don't want to wait until that day. And then went and spent it all and, 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 and lost everything and ended up for a Jewish man in the worst possible environment taking care of the pigs of a Gentile farmer. He began to come to his senses, made his way home. He was going back with a plan. Maybe I can, maybe I can earn entrance back into my father's household by becoming a servant. And of course, in the parable that Jesus tells, where's the father? The father's watching for him. On the front porch, as it were, looking, waiting. For how long? We don't know. But when he sees the son, the prodigal, coming home, Jesus tells us in this parable, in this story, I want you to picture that's what God is like coming for you. Where do we go from here? Well, if you're outside God's forever family, join it. Join it. Join it today. Look to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Recognize that he died, his blood was shed, that you might have forgiveness of sin, and he rose from the dead in order that you might have the assurance that you are now part of this forever family. Put your trust in Jesus. Become part of this family today. For all of us who are part of that eternal forever family, keep loving your earthly family. Take care of them. Serve them. But let your allegiance be first to Jesus. He is your older brother. Now just think about what that means for a second. You may not have had a great older brother, I wasn't a great older brother, but Jesus is a great older brother. 
when he says, here are my mothers, here are my brothers, here are my sisters, keep in mind, this is the very God who created family. So the ideal relationship that you would see between a son and a mother, Jesus says, I want to have that kind of intimacy and relationship with you. The ideal kind of relationship that that exists in the mind of God and was created to be before sin entered the world, between brother and brother and brother and sister, Jesus says, I want to have that kind of intimacy and relationship with you. Let your allegiance first be to Jesus. Enjoy what it means to be loved by Jesus, your older brother. And then in him, enjoy now your forever family. Now that is so hard right now because we can't be together. And my prayer has been that as I talk to you about this forever family and this great joy that we have, even though the cost may be great, this great gain that we have in Jesus to be part of a church family, my prayer has been that the result of that would be that you long for us to be back together, that we actually miss one another in profound ways that maybe up until this point it hasn't fully registered. But what can you do now? There are things that you can do now. You can write each other a note. These are simple, basic things. But if you've got a directory, you've got a pen and a piece of paper and a stamp, you can send a note of encouragement. You're going to see some greeting videos here in a second. You can put together a greeting video and just say hi that way to your church family. If you've got a church directory, you can make a couple phone calls. I saw last night a commercial for Budweiser in which the whole point of the commercial was that they were calling people in order to check in on one another. My goodness, we've got to at least meet, you know, the ABVEV, ABBEV, you know, uh, measure of, of what community looks like and go beyond, All right? It's also a good time to join a growth group. We can experience something of what it means to be in community. Even though we can't all be in this room together right now, we can connect with a smaller portion of the body of Christ in a growth group. Growth groups are meeting via Zoom or Jitsi or other, other methods online, even now throughout this entire crisis. If you want to get connected to a growth group, email Eric, eric at gracechurchpca.com. And he will help facilitate you getting connected to a growth group. Coming to the prayer meeting tonight virtually. It's a way to reconnect with your family and pray for one another. These are all significant things. They're little things. But they are significant. And they give us a a taste now of what we'll be able to experience in full one day. But in greater measure when this pandemic ends. And we can be back together in this place. So the cost of following Jesus may be high. You may lose your earthly family, but the gain is great. An eternal, forever family where God is your father and Jesus is your brother and you've got any number of of, uh, brothers and sisters and mothers in the Lord. Enter this family now. Put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would help us to Um, look to you first and foremost, the grace that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, uh, the fellowship that we enjoy with him by your spirit. And we pray, O God, that as we do so, we would hunger increasingly for the time when we can be back together as a church family. 
But Lord, out of that desire and out of that anticipation, would you help us now to do the little things that will enable us to give and receive love? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.